So this week, I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last really six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So, If you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT dash HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast, where I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage, and I'm so excited you're here this week. You are listening to episode number six. So this episode makes me super happy. I am talking with my dear, dear friend, Dennis Williams, who in addition to being one of the greatest parents and friends I've ever had the pleasure of knowing, is also Senior Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility at Warner Media. Both as an individual and a professional, Dennis has always sought ways to bring resources to bear to create high leverage social impact. He focuses on creating really dynamic and often boundary pushing partnerships with nonprofits and social enterprises around the world. So in this episode, we talk about what it really means to put resources to work to create a better, more just world. What is the responsibility of partners outside of the nonprofit sector to push themselves beyond comfortable answers to tough questions about how to create true equity and inclusion? And we talk about how the nature of partnerships between nonprofits and other sectors might need to change in some pretty fundamental ways and expand to create more space for diverse stories and perspectives, both out in the world and, perhaps more importantly, at decision-making tables. 
This conversation is taken from my video series, The Next Normal, which explores issues of strategy, sustainable leadership, and racial equity in the nonprofit sector and in the world at large, following the tectonic unrest of 2020. So let's listen. Hi, Dennis. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Brooke? Good. I'm so glad to be talking to you today. Very good. I'm excited for the conversation. <laughs> so as we were talking about off camera, I've been having these conversations with just you know, people that I love, really interesting people, about what social impact work looks like in the next normal, right? In the post-Trump world, in the hopefully soon post-pandemic world. We hope. One day, you know, in the world that follows uh, George Floyd and all of the racial unrest of last year and that continues into this year, it's really reshaping how institutions in the whole social impact ecosystem think about who should be at the table and what the next normal looks like. So I'm going to dive right in with my first question for you. Okay. All right. (laughs) So given the pandemic and everything we've talked about, particularly in the wake of the Trump presidency and the sort of awakening of like social activism and engagement, how do you think that social impact work is changing or will change from where you sit at Warner Media and in your work with social impact work over the last few years? Yeah, you know, listen, I think at sort of the most basic fundamental level, the events of last year, which you you described, not simply, obviously, a lot of this stuff existed pre-George Floyd, which was the power of media bringing that to people's attention, but the toxicity, the divisiveness, all of the things that we were seeing that, you know, quite honestly, were the canaries in the mine, right? I mean, for so many people, it's like most of us were not surprised that we got to where we got to because we saw it coming all along. And so the You know, I think what had to happen, though, was institutions, whether we're talking corporations or government entities, politicians, et cetera, I think we had to finally stop and hold ourselves really accountable and say, we're not okay. (laughs) You know, like it's whatever it is, it's not fixed. It isn't getting better. We've not made the progress that we had hoped to make, right? And so I think about our work, for example, you know, it caused us to take a look and say, we have, for example, funded a number of organizations and institutions. And all of a sudden that started to feel like, have we just thrown the check over the wall, right? Instead of breaking the wall down, right? Instead of taking a look at the structures that were keeping people marginalized, paralyzed, crippled, right? And the the way that they needed to be able to move through the world. And so, you know, I think that kind of initial self-analysis that institutions had to take to say, are we part of the solution that we thought we were working towards? Or have we just reinforced the problems? And I think, thankfully, a number of organizations, in large part because of the fervor of, of the Black Lives Matter movement and the Black community holding folks accountable, they came out of that exploration saying, oh, we have more work to do on ourselves, Yeah, not just our grantees. Yeah. So I love this vision, this sort of image of breaking down the wall and the check going over the wall. I think the first step is the sort of radical self-interrogation, right? What, yeah. is, what have I been doing that's been complicit, you know, in keeping that there? What's the next 
step. Like I think last year we started to see, as you're saying, more key stakeholders look inward and ask those questions. And then what? How do we continue to break down that wall? Well, I mean, you just said it, Brooke. It's, you know, ask those questions, but we had to change the questions that we were asking, right? Mm-hmm. It, it looks very different now. And, you know, and I want to be, you know, sort of specific, but is it enough to simply say that we've bought, you know, we've supported the organization by writing a check when we actually can say, what more can we be doing, right? What does that look like that's different? Have we given this issue the same weight that we give other business priorities. And that for us was the transformational question we had to ask ourselves. You know, we're a media company and, you know, yeah, it sounds really great and it has a very fantastic narrative to say that we invest in storytellers from diverse communities. And that's true. And it's super important that we continue to do that. The question is like, do we keep that resource siloed? We have significantly more power than just writing the check. We have platforms. We have the ability to tell stories. We have inventory that we can invite our social justice partners to be a part of. For the first time, you know, we asked ourselves, what's the most valuable resource we have at our disposal? And the answer came back. It's the thing that our advertisers pay for. It's our airtime. Platform. That's right. And it's our platform. So have we given the most valuable thing that we have, the biggest microphone to our social justice work? And the answer was, we have not. Because when you just write the check for the gala, (laughs) that doesn't equate to a commercial on the network. And you know this, but you know, and and others as well, but we pledge to give $10 million worth of airtime to social justice organizations over the next several years. And that when I tell you, for them, it's an incredible asset to be able to amplify their messages. But the amount of excitement that people on my team had being able to say, hey, we're working on a public service announcement or a digital asset in partnership with a social justice organization, and it's going to end up on our networks in the same way that the Mercedes-Benz ad ends up on the network or, you know, the advertiser A, B, or C, it motivated and inspired them in incredibly different ways. As CSR people, we never thought that we'd be producing public service announcements or commercials on the network. So if you ask a different set of questions, then you, you get to a different conclusion. There's so many things I love about that. So the first thing I'll highlight is I've had in these next normal conversations and just, you know, in the work that I do, so many conversations about power, right? Mm -hmm. Who's at the table? Who's shaping the systems that we, you know, function within? And there are a lot of conversations about how power shows up and, and how groups that are doing social justice work, for example, get power. And what I love about what you just said, and you may not even realize like how impactful it is, most of the folks I've talked to have said power has to be taken right? If we are to have a voice doing social justice work, it's going to be because we take the, we demand that voice. And part of what you are highlighting is a rethinking of sharing power, the power of the platform saying, actually, you don't have to come and take it here, right? This is (laughs) how we shift who is telling the stories, who is asking the questions, right? I think that's part and parcel of the nature of our business, right? On the other side, in front of the camera, we need to have that reciprocal partnership relationship with talented creators 
who bring content to our platform, right? So we know how to share the platform in that way. That's what our business is built on. And certainly even in that area, the transformation that we've seen in media and entertainment around the telling of stories of trans people, queer people, black people, like if these shows were on television when I was growing up, (laughs) I'd have a very different, I would have had a very different path to self-esteem and and self-awareness for sure. So progress is being seen there. And that's a part of the story. Mm-hmm. The the other thing, and it's just interrogating what more, right? It's not enough. Yeah, exactly. It's not simply enough to have the most popular show that has the broadest reach. It's realizing that after that show ends, you're still able to do more with your platform, right? Mm-hmm. And Hollywood has seen this too. It's like, you can't walk onto a set now where stories are being told about people of color or queer people or women, et cetera, and see a non-diverse right. group of people working and not expect to be called out. I mean, yes. it happens still. I don't want to you know, say that the work is done. It happens, but you should expect that you'll get called out for that. And so you know, that kind of progress is starting to be made. So we get and understand it. We just have to keep looking under every part of the business to say, are we doing everything that we can be doing here so that our actions match our words. What do you think gets in the way, right? I think when we talk about what the plan is, that's a great roadmap. And we, you know, you've articulated the North Star. Mm -hmm. Um, What makes that hard? What isn't happening that should be happening? Oh, that's a good one. Um, (laughs) You know, here's, here's the thing that concerns me. People, when we talk about power, we don't often, you're right, we don't often talk about the sharing of power. It is a zero sum game, right? Either you're in a relationship and this person makes all the decisions and you feel marginalized or, you know, like we're all striving, I hope, in our interpersonal relationships, especially for a balance of power, right? And that's something that has to be negotiated every single day in your interpersonal relationships, right? If you want to see a healthy marriage, you'll see people who talk honestly about what that balance looks like in their lives and like how they manage it. So in our spaces, it's even more complicated than that because people are getting paid money to show up and be powerful or getting paid money to show up and hold on to power or getting paid money to show up and determine who has power. And so there's a sense of you know, a, a different kind of entitlement to hold on to it and to protect it. And when you approach it from that perspective, there's not enough space for everyone to share the power. So, you know, it naturally assumes that there will be haves and have nots. Yesterday, we were having a conversation about inclusion in our company. And one of our inclusion officers said something really sort of brilliant, right? Which is we have to get to a place where we talk about this as beneficial for everyone and not just some right? Including our inclusion efforts. If we decide that we're going to embark on analysis, for example, that takes a look at pay equity, that's not just for people of color. That means we want to make sure that everyone in the environment is paid equitably according to their value, their service, the impact that they have on the business. So if you hear someone talking about an exploration from the inclusion team on pay equity, don't think that's just for black people. Don't think that's just for women. Bob, the white guy down the hall should also be paid equitably for the work that he provides. And so, you know, now if you've gotten to a place and we know this is the case, we've gotten to the place where we're paying mediocre people 
outrageous sums of money, those people aren't going to be happy about a pay equity conversation. So, you know, like I think that was would be the thing that I would caution people in the environment. It's like, if you stand opposed to this work that we're doing, then you're probably one of the offenders. It's like you're basically identifying yourself as a mediocre person that doesn't want to be called out for their mediocre work. <laughs> That's right. You know, I think it's interesting, this idea of sort of social justice being beneficial for everyone. We mm-hmm. talk about equity, justice, only as it pertains to certain groups, as you were saying. And I think, you know, part of what I hear you saying is, as we move forward into this, you know, next normal, opening up that conversation, not just how we talk about equity as actually benefiting all of us, but actually believing, right? Like, Absolutely. shaping our understanding of justice so that it envisions a shared humanity, right? What is best for you is best for us because- Yeah, absolutely. Anecdotally, it's Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. (laughs) Now that we're four days in. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be asked by different organizations to come and speak you know, particularly during this time of the year, Uh, (laughs) something about the uh, color of my skin. And so, you know, fortunately, a friend reached out to me and said, hey, you know, would love to just have you come and talk about your work and it would be very inspiring. It was when he said that it would be inspiring that in my mind, I knew he was thinking inspiring for the black employees in the company, but I want to inspire all of the employees in the company. So yes, seeing a senior level African-American gay man will inspire certain people in certain ways. That's fantastic. We will certainly do that. But I'm hoping that the room is more inclusive and more diverse. And so what I said to him was, listen, what I would propose is instead of me coming and being some sort of keynote or, you know, a one-on-one conversation with the cool black guy, let me bring my leadership team. And what people will see is that there is this African-American senior level executive who leads a diverse team of people doing social justice work. There is space in this conversation for all of us. We all have a role to play. If I show up and it's just me, when I leave, they'll say, I'm so glad those Black people are working on social justice. (laughs) Um, No, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious, but you know, I don't want it exclusively assigned to me to fix this. I have an entire team of people who are passionate about this work. And so I want that to be the reflection of what we're doing at Warner Media and not, you know, not this sort of like bring in the black unicorn, right? Let, let's show the fullness of what we're attempting to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's for all of social impact work and I'll ask about this in a moment, sort of partnership work, but this idea of not just saying, but doing, right? Signaling. So it's not enough to talk about who should be at the table, who should be telling stories, you know, who should be asking questions, but doing things differently, having meetings differently, shaping agendas differently, (laughs) actually letting people be spokespeople, not just being a keynote, but bringing a team, right? That's how things shift. And I think it often takes people who are in positions of leadership and authority and power like you to say, actually... We're going to do, I'm going to steward a different process here. Absolutely. Right. And I'm going to see people, diverse people for the diverse talents that they bring, right? And not get caught up in the hierarchy or the bureaucracy of an organization, right? There are, if you aren't 
availing yourself of every resource that your company has, especially when we're talking about the people who comprise that company who come in every day. If you're not availing yourself of all of their talents, then shame on you, right? So I, I was talking to a colleague who, you know, there was a decision that needed to be made at a very senior level in the organization where he works. And, you know, he's an African-American person and he was frustrated because he's one of the few African-Americans on the leadership team. And he felt like he was going to bat by himself, as we often have felt, right? If you're the only person in the room, you're like, okay, you know, I'm here. And so it's my job to bring this up. And what I said to him was, has your organization ever thought about talking to other people of color, regardless of their level? So why is it just that you speak to, like there are other people of color in the organization who would have an opinion that would actually confirm and corroborate what you're saying. And so what I hope happens if I'm ever confronted in that way, and I'm the only person in the room, and I I would say, you know what I'm going to do? There are lots of other Black folks in this company. We should talk to them. And regardless of, you know, if they're an officer of the company, et cetera, I think that there's a perspective that we have in the company that we're not listening to. Let me go find it. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. So this is sort of getting at some of what you were referencing earlier about CSR and your relationship to more traditional nonprofits and the ecosystem of social impact. Do you think that that also applies to other people and other perspectives that aren't at the company, right? So is there a way to broaden our conversations about different perspectives on issues by looking beyond not just the leadership level or the hierarchy of the institution, but looking through our whole ecosystem and saying, wait a minute, who you're asking me some questions here to help shape and define this issue. How can I think expansively and creatively about who needs to be in this conversation? And do you feel like CSR, your role in CSR is is shifting in that direction or does that need to happen? I mean, I hope it's not shifting. I hope it's what we've always tried to do. And that is not think of the people in our portfolio as the grantees, as the the recipients of our benevolence. (laughs) This is back to throwing the check over the wall, but instead saying, oh no, they are the thought leaders on these issues. And so like any other challenge that the business would face, we have to bring in the thought leaders. Again, I mean, I think I'm in a very unique position because we work in content and programming. And so part of my job has always been to say to people, there's a social issue that comes up in this content and this programming, and we are not the experts because we don't do this day in and day out. I mean, I, I'm going to, you know, name drop one of my favorite people, but, you know, I met Tarana Burke because, you know, who's the founder of the Me Too movement. And I met Tarana because we were working on a project that had to do with sexual assault. And it was one of those things where we were clearly out of our league and even formulating intelligent ideas around what to do. And I honestly believe this, if we had gone out With just our experiences, we would have missed something really valuable on that piece of content. And so what we were able to do is say, hey, we have proximity to an expert on this topic. And so she was on this particular title. She was one of the very first people to come in and view it and give us her authentic, uncensored reaction that helped shape the strategy for how we were going to release that content into the world. And so, I mean, that's just one example, but, you know, the idea that you can think of your ecosystem as partners and not recipients (laughs) changes a dynamic, right? 
this is very similar to a conversation I was telling you before we were on camera about my conversation with Tarek Ward at Elma Philanthropies. And we were talking about the role of philanthropy um, mm-hmm. and shifting away from, which is also about power, right? We hold the resources and we will you know, give some to you in the form of dollars <laughs> occasionally. If mm-hmm. you, and what I hear you saying is, and I know that, I mean, I've known you for years and have been in the sort of first HBO and now, you know, the whole <laughs> transforming. All of it. <laughs> you know, CSR world. And I know that's, there's always been so much more um, that you guys have done, but I also hear you saying that there's even farther to go and even more to do in the shifting away from the check over the wall. Oh, for sure. I mean, listen, we are now even more intentional and we have to be and responsive to the social issues that come up in our world. And that's a, listen, that's a great place to be if you're the CSR person. Um, I used to, I tease my team like that. There were moments when I would sit in some of these meetings and I'd be like, well, I better find something important to say. And now I like my calendar, you know, my cup runneth over as they say, you know, but I think that's a really brilliant thing because part of progress is people knowing what they don't know and bringing the right people in. And so you can't live in this world and create thoughtful, impactful content with creators who are of the caliber that we want to bring in. Like if you're working with the top talent in Hollywood, they have an agenda. And, you know, no one makes a documentary film without a point of view. (laughs) You know, content creators have been thinking about these ideas their entire lives. Like they have a purpose. And so when we can align our vast resources with the intentionality of their purpose, then that works. But if someone comes into the room and I'm dealing, you know, I deal with this situation quite often, you know, yeah, we have to put together a show and we hope it's going to be a hit, but there's so often when the showrunner or the content creator or the writer will say, so can I talk to the social impact team, right? How is this going to reach kids who grew up in the environment where I grew up? How is this going to inspire kids who look like the kids that I see when I leave my house every morning? How is this going to do more than simply entertain your audiences? And because more people are asking that question, it requires those of us to be in the room. But also when we leave that room, we must have the ability to tap into an ecosystem that allows us to do much more than simply put content on our platform. I think that that's how I want to, I'll sort of wrap up with this question. And I, Love putting you on spot with these questions. (laughs) So if I am a content creator, an institution doing good social justice or social impact work out in the world, and I have a perspective that I think is important or not being reflected, how do I partner with not so much WarnerMedia in particular, but a lot of what we've been talking about today presupposes that there are good people on the inside of corporations and CSR teams that are, you know, that have their radar out and that are looking and there's still a sort of selectivity. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, we will find the perspectives and people we need. And I'm wondering if part of shifting power is also shifting that balance, right? How do people make themselves known? How do people say, but wait, actually, I'm little, I'm over here, I'm in the corner, you can't hear me or see me, but I want to be at that table. I have to tell you, I just don't know. Technology has become the great equalizer. We hire people now because they have large followings on TikTok. Mm, We 
pick up series because someone has significant subscribers on YouTube because it's user-generated content. We engage with people who have created and tapped into their own ecosystems. So here's the thing. It's like, you know, if you have something to say and you believe it resonates with tens of thousands of people, say it and let the tens of thousands of people prove you right. You will be right. Chances are you'll be right before we know who you are, (laughs) you know, but at that sense of like, this is a story that needs to be told is probably the early seed that was the catalyst for so many people that you see in our industry. They weren't making content so that it could be on someone's platform. They made something because they had to make it. I'm reminded of one of our, you and, you know, our shared favorite authors, Toni Morrison, who talked about the desire to write. Like she was a writer. That's what she had to do. She woke up in the morning as a writer, right? And so, and if she couldn't write, then she wasn't being who she was. And so I, that's the advice that I give to content creators all the time. Like create it and let the world come to you. It will. Like, you know, there are way too many examples of people who said, I'm not making, I mean, I think, well, you know, one of my favorite shows, of course, is Insecure, but not just because I think it's a brilliant show, but I love Issa's story. You know, Issa said, awkward black girl. Huh. That's how she described her. And she's like, and I know a whole bunch of other black girls who will watch this. And that was the beginning of so many things, you know, for her. And fortunately, we were able to, to bring her into our fold. So as I said, technology, everyone has a phone. Everyone has the ability to upload (laughs) and you do it and you build your own community and then let us come and ask if we can be a part of your community. I mean, what's interesting from my perspective as someone who's always done nonprofit and social enterprise work, I remember running my organization and in the early years feeling like a newsletter was, you know, strategic communications, right? I'd sort of every week people would get something from me and I felt like I could check the box. And it wasn't until we started doing policy work legal and policy work that I started to understand. And I think nonprofits should continue to grow in this area that we are all content creators. We all And so stepping into that, what we sort of jargonally call thought leadership, but really is telling the stories that need to be told in a way that can be amplified. It sounds like whether it's a content creator or a social impact organization or a nonprofit, you're saying, tell your story. Absolutely. And, and if you can't tell the story, then invest in the resources to do it. And you know this to be true, right? It's like, I mean, I would talk to organizations all the time and they'd say like, well, you know, we have all these programs and I'd say, okay, so how do you market what you're doing? And they'd say, well, we don't actually have enough money for marketing. And I'm like, well, this is an organization that we're not going to hear about very much, right? If, you know, my mother would say it's a sad dog that won't wag its own tail, right? Like you have to, (laughs) got to quote my mother at every podcast that I do. But, you know, it is the responsibility of the organization to do the work and tell the story of the work. And if you, if you do that and you are intentional about amplifying what you're doing, then, you know, people, people, yeah. Exactly. It will self-perpetuate. Absolutely. Well, Dennis, this was, as always, a great conversation. That went by so fast. <laughs> we for hours. <laughs> exactly. Come on. Like I, the, the bell is ringing. I'm not ready to leave. <laughs> <laughs>
for joining me today. And I love talking to you. This is really great. And insane. Thank you for doing this. Again, this is part of the storytelling, right? And so the more information we have and we share and people can use as tools to build on the work that they're doing, then the better we're leaving this this place called Earth. Oh, we'll be. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Thank you for joining me this week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends. You can learn more about the work of the Warner Media CSR team at warnermedia.com slash us slash story slash we shape our communities. And check out the video series, The Next Normal at richiebabbage.com slash next normal. That's all for now. Have a great week and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.